I've um, just got back from a few days uh, in France uh, where I had the privilege of uh, taking a service of blessing for my nephew and his wife who'd been married the day before in the town hall and uh, they had a service in um, a pine forest just south of uh, Paris. Uh, it was a wonderful uh, occasion. And uh, one thing I noticed about being in France is, is that the French are very good at saying hello to each other. And as that's the only word I know in French, I joined in. Bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. Um, but that's where it ended. Um, I think here in the UK, we are good at asking people how, how they are. How are you, we say. And sometimes, it seems these days, we actually dispense of saying hello and we go, go straight in. How are you? Asking after people's well-being. But have you noticed how, how there's a tendency uh, now for us uh, to ask how the person is, but then not even wait for a response before we inject the words, are you busy? Do you know what I mean? Have you heard people doing that? Or have you done it? I know I've done it. To which you are supposed to say, oh yes, I'm really busy. And then you feel compelled to list all the things that you're doing to prove that you really are busy. And sometimes I want to say, no, I'm not that busy actually, but I'm fine. But we're afraid to say that because somehow we're afraid that we'll be judged for it. Because being busy is what we all expect of each other. It seems to be what we chase after, what we aspire to. There's a restless energy that we can become addicted to. Now, it's important that we have a degree of busyness, but I think you understand what I'm saying. There's degrees of busyness, isn't there? The idea that we actually stop and rest, well, that actually may be a bit of a scary idea. But the problem of being perpetually busy is that we can lose our peace. We can lose our sense of composure. So when we do get time to sit and be quiet and pray, we find actually we're noisy inside. We're restless. And in Psalm 131, you might want to have your news sheet with you, just because I want you to look at the psalm as we, as we think about it together. We get to hear what it's like to be peaceful on the inside. Here is someone who's mastered the art of being content, for some of the time anyway. This psalm is like medicine to the soul. And um, I've found this psalm a real help in my prayer life. Uh, I've memorized it. So often at the end of the day or in, as I'm walking somewhere or whatever I say, um, what do I say if I've memorized it? My heart is not proud, Lord, nor are my eyes haughty. And then I stop and I think, actually, my heart is proud. I judged that person wrongly. Please forgive me, Lord. So it's, it's a psalm that helps us actually get ourselves right with God again, to find his forgiveness, to find his peace. So I'd encourage you to memorize this short little psalm. It sounds like I'm describing a self-help tool, and I'm not, um, because this psalm begins and ends with the Lord. It's about a relationship of trust and dependence on Jesus, not using our own strength, to sort ourselves out, but working it out with God's help. I say that because if you look in verse 1, it says, my heart is not proud. Then the last verse says, where is it? 
Look at that. The last verse says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. So the psalm begins with the Lord and it ends with the Lord. So it's about finding peace and calm in the midst of the demands of life, in the midst of our relationship with Jesus. So let's take a closer look at this psalm together. It may be a small psalm, but it's a mighty psalm. And I pray, my prayer has been that you'll be blessed as we look at this this morning. So we can look at it in three parts. First of all, three enemies of peace in verse one. What the writer does is contrast uh, what he is not with what he would like to be. Look in verse one. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful. So the first enemy of rest is pride. Have you ever said these words? If you want a job done well, then do it yourself. And there may be some times where that's true. But the problem is when we believe that all of the time, and um, when we believe that actually we can sort things out all on, our, all on our own without anybody else helping us and without God's help, at the root of that attitude is pride. Pride says, I can thought, sort things out without God's help. The preacher, Jonathan Edwards, said, pride is the worst viper in the heart. Maybe old-fashioned language, but we get his point. The problem of pr with pride is that when we think we are better than everyone else, and of course the next step is then that we start to look down on others. Our eyes become haughty. That's the next enemy of rest. To be haughty is to look down on others. It's to be arrogant, disdainful, and superior. Pride leads us to looking down on others. We can all relate to these attitudes, can't we? Don't we all experience them? Because it's the essence of what sin is. When we push God out of our lives, then something has to fill God's place. And the first contender is our pride. So if the first enemy um, of rest is pride and the second is looking down on others, what's the third? Well, we read in our psalm, um, the third enemy is overreaching ourselves, taking responsibility for things which aren't ours, getting embroiled in things which we can't control or change. David, the psalmist says, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Now, I don't think David is saying don't attempt anything difficult or complex in your life. That would be consistent with, with what, what else we read in Scripture. And this isn't avoid, uh, an excuse to, to, to avoid, to opt out of life. That's not what he's saying. But there are some things that we can't change, and yet we have a tendency to try and manipulate other people and even manipulate God. In addition, this verse is not calling us to withdraw from life, to become hermits. Remember who wrote this psalm. It was David. And what do we know about David? Well, there are two books in the Bible about David, so we know lots about him. We know that before he became king, he was largely a fugitive. He was constantly on the run. And then when he became king, he was under attack by neighboring nations. And once that calmed down, his eldest son launched a coup against him, with his most trusted advisor joining in the insurrection. So this psalm was written by somebody 
uh, who spent much of his time in situations of conflict. But what it does is teach us the secret that David discovered, that we can know God's peace and rest in the midst of turmoil. Whether that be turmoil in the world around us or turmoil in our own personal lives. The Bible describes, describes David as a man after God's own heart. So we are wise to learn from him. The truth is that this peace and this calm is available for all Christians. In the context of our relationship with the Lord, we can learn to master the inner noise and the restlessness. So how might this happen? Well, this is another version um, of Psalm 131. It's the one, actually, I pray most often. This is um, written by somebody called um, uh, David Polinson. He says, another way we could read this psalm is, Lord, my heart is proud. I'm absorbed with myself. And my eyes are haughty. I look down on other people. And I chase after things that are too great and too difficult for me. So, of course, I'm restless and noisy inside. It comes naturally, like a hungry infant fussing on its mother's lap. Like a hungry infant, I'm restless with my demands and worries. I scatter my hopes onto everything, anything and everybody all the time. That's why we can become noisy inside. That's the cause of the endless chatter. That's where the enemies of peace come from. But as we confess them to God, then he clears them out of our hearts, all the rubbish that uh, hinders us and gets in the way of our relationship with him. And we see who we are and who we belong to. And then we can read this psalm that David wrote with confidence because we know that God forgives and restores us. But not only does the restlessness go, there is something else that comes in its place, the discovery of rest. Now, we've got a few newborn babies in our church family. They're not here this morning, um, but uh, you'll know that we have two very young uh, newborn babies. And um, there's really something very special about seeing a baby who's just been fed by its mother. It looks almost drunk. Do you know what I mean? It looks so peaceful, so full of milk and contentment. If only that would last all night. I can hear the parents saying if they were here. And you could get some guaranteed sleep. But we know that it won't. There will be screaming and there will be hollowing. Their peaceful grin will have disappeared. And there will be a bright little red face intent on only one thing. It's only mum that the baby wants. And it's only one thing from mum that they want. As mum places the baby on their lap, the baby is fussy and wriggling, discontent until their need for milk is met. But the good news is this doesn't last forever. As the baby gets older, they slowly drink less and begin to eat solids. And one day they are completely weaned. So then the mother can pick the baby up and it's quite content to sit on its mother's lap. The wean baby is no longer restless, demanding and wriggling. It's just content to be with its mother. That's a picture that David's giving us in Psalm 131 of a person at peace. Someone who's learned to sink into the arms of God, free from pride, from looking down on others, and from arrogant ambitions. And it's a lesson that we need to do over and over again. It's a picture not just of humility, but also what, what might be called the motherhood of God. 
But David describes this process in an interesting way. He says in verse 2, But I have stilled and quietened my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child I am content. He says, I have stilled. The reality is that we either a restless, irritable, demanding child in God's presence, or we are a weaned one, content to sit on our mother's lap. So the process of finding peace and rest involves us taking some authority. We still our restless hearts, and we do this by prayer. We use prayer to exercise authority and to still our hearts and to remind ourselves that we can be still and quiet in his presence. The beautiful picture here of a child content to be with its mother, no longer demanding, but resting, just enjoying time with its mother. Have you learned that experience of just being with God? If you haven't, then why not over these, over these um, weeks of August break, why not take time to use this psalm to spend time with God and let me know how you get on. Because often we come to God like babies who are not weaned, clamouring for attention. We come with our demands. God, do this, do that. What's your purpose in my life? Will you bless me, touch me, heal me, renew me, fill me? And there's nothing wrong with those prayers. But this is a different kind of prayer that we're discovering here. Because a weaned child has put aside all their demands. They're content to be with a parent. Confident that they will be fed. Secure in their relationship. Close enough to hear the mother's heartbeat and enjoying their presence. This is contemplative prayer, simply enjoying friendship with God. It's not any more or less important than any other type of prayer, but it's one that we often miss, particularly from the evangelical tradition. I found this prayer to be, a, this psalm to be a real help in my prayer life, and I pray that you will discover the wealth of this little, little psalm. And finally, the, the psalm ends with a description of where to find hope. Verse 3 says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. The psalm ends on a different note. Um, we're no longer listening in on what David is saying to God. David is now talking directly to us. He says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and evermore. Two things to note here. First of all, he addresses God's people by name. He says, Israel. Originally, that was just a, a group of nomadic families that grew, that grew into becoming a nation. And post-Jesus' death and resurrection, it extends to everyone who's put their faith in Jesus. So instead of Israel, we could say St. Stephen's church family, or Dave, and there's a few of them around, or Leslie, there's a few of them or Rani, or Asker, or Imam. Uh, do you get the point? These words are for us. It's a personal invitation to us to put our hope in the Lord once again. Secondly, we see we're putting our hope in the Lord. And we are presented every day with a whole range of people and things that we can put our hope, for, hope in. And, and we become what we set our hope upon. So if we seek power, then we become obsessed with chasing it. If we seek wealth, we find that we never have enough. If we seek popularity, 
then we find that we are always looking for reassurance. But when we seek Jesus, David's greater son, then we become like Jesus. And that hope sustains us. Romans 15 verse 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Finally, a couple of weeks ago I showed you uh, a picture up on the um, PowerPoint and uh, it wasn't very clear, so I printed it off. I don't know whether you can see it any more clearly now. I'm going to put it at the back of church afterwards if you'd like to pick it up and have a look. But this is um, a print of a painting by an artist called André Rublev. Um, it's an icon. And um, originally, when he painted it, um, he painted it as a picture of uh, the three visitors visiting Abraham. Um, but over time, it became an image um, to represent and help people understand the Trinity. So, uh, one God, three persons, but one being. So, the picture of three people, persons sitting around a table, enjoying food together, uh, represents God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you come and have a look at it later, you'll notice that their eyes are very interesting because they're all looking at each other. There's this bond of love that's going round and round within the Trinity because God is love. Even before the world was created, God was there and there was love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But as you look further at the painting, you'll see that there's an empty seat just there in the foreground. Can you see that? There's an empty seat. And we are invited to come and sit in that place and enjoy and experience the love of God. Psalm 131 is a psalm that you can use just to experience uh, what it means to know and feel and enjoy the love of God. So I encourage you, this August, this, this summer holiday, and you may not be going away, you may be in Preston, or you may be going away, wherever you are, take a few minutes to read Psalm 131, to reflect on it, and to still yourself in God's presence, like a weaned child, and to know that you are loved by God. Amen. As we prepare